Questionable Show Episode 8. It has already been about a month and a half since I recorded my last episode, so I wanted to go ahead and make an update, uh, make another show before um, the end of the the Two Times Media event for, for Christmas. Um, had a good Christmas. I uh, have been having a good time here. Uh, last time I recorded a podcast is before the beginning of the season. We are now just finished week 11 in the DSFL last night uh, and finished week 13 in the ISFL um, the night previous as of recording right now. Uh, the week 14 ISFL action is scheduled to be broadcasted in about four and a half hours from here. Uh, we'll see if I stay out for that or not. It's the the new conundrum of the season. Now, um, being in the UK and being on GMT, uh, it's the new conundrum of whether or not I will watch um, games live. It's led to me watching a lot fewer games overall, really. Um, I don't watch ISFL action a lot live. Um, I will try and make sure I stay up for games that I think have a lot of importance, and then there's some times where I'm just, I'm just up till that time anyways, so I go ahead and watch the games, but um, yeah, it's been a lot more of me watching games on VODs on YouTube after when I wake up, whenever, sometime in the morning, uh, which has led to me skipping through a lot of games, and uh, yeah, just kind of really recapping on scores afterwards. Uh, I feel like I've been a little bit more disconnected from maybe more the ISFL this season, but that maybe speaks to more in general. So I want to go ahead and recap S26 so far here, and then uh, I haven't asked for any questions. I think there's plenty of stuff to talk about. I want to go ahead and talk about looking towards S27 and beyond. A lot, of, a lot to talk about there with... Uh, us switching over to Wolverine Studios' new version of Draft Day Sports Pro Football, moving from the 2016 version to the 2021 version. So, definitely very exciting. Um, new year, new sim. I think we're all excited. This will be very interesting. Uh, it's coming up on my first full year in the league, which I think is pretty crazy. I think I joined back in mid-February. Uh, I believe was the time that the mid-February was the time that the S22 class started coming in, which I was a part of, and um, that was pretty crazy. But that means in about a month and a half, that'll be a full year that I've been involved with the league, that I've had a player live on the on the site for, which is insane. It's a year that Tatsu Nakamura has been in existence as a player in the DSFL, NSFL, now ISFL. Uh, and it has been a wild ride. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to get kind of caught up in more of a larger retrospection. Um, but that um, kind of just hit me while I was talking about it. Um, but there's a lot of change, and this is definitely a time for change. Uh, some people might have noticed recently um, I took a switch in my player archetype. I used up my archetype switch, especially 
kind of being a little bit experimental and knowing that um, the new sim was coming up and that along with that would almost certainly be uh, an additional archetype switch allowed to all players, which is what we're getting. Um, but anyways, the meta for, for forever for running backs from everything that I've known has been that speed running back is really the only viable uh, running back you know that you're just going to get the best stats with with speed back and having the 100 speed is really you know like that's that's it and that's kind of allowed for running backs at lower tbes to be very successful um you know for season bursts here and here especially um although there's still a certain amount of randomness in how your team plays uh, and how your running back performs um yeah, it's pretty wild. Anyways, so I took a change after some pretty extensive uh, testing of testing some seasons, testing single game results on a 800 game spread, uh, testing that several times, uh, testing you know about 10 seasons per different archetype between speed running back, power running back, and um, blocking archetype running back which is actually where I ended up settling uh, was with the blocking archetype uh, it's kind of discussed uh, from what people might have seen in the kind of days leading up to Christmas where they talked about different positions in the new sim um, and they talk about a certain combination of, of speed, weight uh, and um, strength Essentially, it allows you to unlock a uh, 79 speed glitch for running backs as well. Um, and so, yeah, that's what um, I called him Blockamura, and I've called him Chonkamura in the past. Anyways, that's what the uh, new Nakamura's kind of been based off of. Put on a lot of weight, and um, he is looking pretty good since then. Um, definitely rose in the statistics afterwards, um, but it's been kind of a crazy year for Orange County as a whole. Uh, we've had not nearly the same luck as a team as we did last season, and I've kind of continued um, something of a drought of performance that has uh, plagued Nakamura for this season and last season as well. Still managed to be a top five running back in the league last season um, by rushing statistics and especially by having a high touchdown total, which is helped by just being on a good team. Uh, and that kind of continues to a certain degree right now. Nakamura, as of the end of week 13 action, is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11th in rushing yards with 805. Um, Skyline is having a ridiculous season, uh, and they're really just riding him out in Yellowknife, and um, I think they've definitely hit the better side of a lot of sims that have helped them, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's what's allowed Hanyadi to be incredibly successful over there for a while, so not surprising that a Yellowknife running back, um, you know, in a high TPE, he's been inactive for about a month and a half now, no no idea of whether he'll reactivate at some point, but um, 
if he's just taking a break or whatever. But uh, either way, he's still at about 950 TPE, I believe. Um, however, I, I think you definitely have an argument for Zoe Watts having the best season for running back so far. Um, she has one more rushing touchdown on the season. Uh, she has 200 less rushing yards on the season. Um, but what I remember from looking at numbers in season sims and uh, just in general is that she has very good receiving stats. Holy crap, Petrongo, what are you doing? Um, yeah, well, I got thrown off guard there for a second. Um... Let me look and see if I can find where Skyline might be ranking as far as receiving yards. I think they've been using um, their other running back. He's the Minnesota guy. Not Rochburns, but um, Vermilion. They've been Vermilion, using Vermilion as their kind of receiving back. I don't know what his build is, but he might be receiving back. And that's might be why they've kind of been using him there. Um, Skyline has about 200 receiving yards on the season, which is not bad for, you know, kind of a pure running back. He definitely must be playing all the snaps at running back. Um, but for a player such as uh, Watts, who plays the spread and shotgun formations for my last check, uh, plays the spread and shotgun formations at flex receiver at the um, slot uh, receiver spot, She's been able to amass uh, about 681 yards of receiving while also retaining her eligibility for running back awards by starting the other three uh, formations at running back. So that puts, while uh, with about 250 yards, that puts Skyline currently at a total of about 1,400 yards, which is an amazing season. Uh, it still means that with that, those 681 yards, that you're looking at something like um, 1,600 scrimmage yards already from Watts. Um, and while I definitely think rushing yards, especially in 16 in the way that we do formations and such, is a much better indicator of, like, of how we should judge our running back performance. Um, because we, I don't, I don't think we should be necessarily judging running back performance by the statistics that they receive playing a position other than running back. Um, that kind of permeates to other positions anyways, so, um, and it's just hard to kind of suss that out. Either way, uh, I think that overall kind of gives her a little bit of an edge, especially given that she has three receiving touchdowns, as opposed to Skyline that only has one, so that gives her an additional um, two touchdown differential it's for a total of a, a three touchdown advantage. So I think uh, not only just, of course, Skyline being inactive, if he doesn't reactivate, um, that will certainly result in uh, ineligibility from awards. But uh, even with that eligibility, I think Watts kind of takes the cake there for RB of the year so far. Uh, looking at the stats, depending on where... Joseph Petrongolo is starting in the positions if he retains running back eligibility, um, which is not a guarantee given that he has the fullback designation. That means he's almost assuredly playing some snaps at outside receiver. 
Um, if you still have the running back designation, you can still start in the slot position because it's weird and we let that happen like that. I don't really know. Um, but if you start at outside wide receiver or tight end as a running back, I believe you have to have the fullback designation, which uh, Petrungolo does, and he has 698, just slightly more than um, Watts in receiving yards on the season. Uh, and is not far behind at 891 rushing yards. Uh, the big advantage there is that, well, he's one behind in receiving touchdowns with six to Watts seven, he has eight receiving touchdowns, which is pretty bonkers um, compared to Watts three, which makes for a total differential of a plus four in Petrongo's favor. Um, so yeah. Very bonkers, I think, as far as numbers. Which we were talking about Nakamura. We were talking about my player. I have 11 rushing touchdowns, which I think is quite nice. Um, and, you know, keeping those rushing touchdowns up is really going to be my saving grace uh, for awards. I have two receiving touchdowns, which is also nice, which keeps me up there towards the top in total touchdowns. Um, right. Yeah, that puts me just behind Petrunglo in total touchdowns. I have no idea of Tariki's accomplishments in the receiving game. It looks like she's been shifted off of the RB1 role, uh, which will definitely hurt her in awards at the end of the season, but she's also getting more carries than me, and I'm RB1, so... I don't know. I have no clue. I think she's, I think she's gotten a lot less um, carries ever since uh, the retirement announcement. Or maybe even a little bit before then. Either way, um, I think, to say the very least, it's been a disappointing season for me for Nakamura so far. Um, even looking at the stats now, there are three games remaining for Orange County. We are going at Philadelphia, home to New Orleans, and at New York. Um, and by my counting and by my season sims, I was hoping for and expecting about 1,100 to 1,200 rushing yards at the end of the season. I'm at 800 right now, so I would need to absolutely go off to get to those totals. Uh, I could get closer to 1,100. Uh, that's only about 300 uh, rushing yards um, over three games. That's not crazy. It's, it's a good three-game stretch for sure. And if you can carry that out through a 16-game season, that's a pretty crazy season you have at running back. Um, but yeah, with the game plan as it is right now, um, I'm pretty frustrated about that. But um, game plan as it is, um, last game at Honolulu, I received eight rushing attempts, eight carries. Um... The San Jose game, I got nine carries. Um, and then the Outlaws game, you know, that was actually a good game plan for me. I had 24 carries. It's just really kind of feast or famine, and it's been a lot of, or like this season especially, and it's been a lot of famine. Um, over the early half of the season, I was really frustrated with getting out-carried by Bronco Mills, um, our new RB2. Um, or just getting carried really close, and he was getting a lot more quality carries, which is kind of what sparked the idea to maybe switch archetypes. 
um, as just speed didn't seem to be meshing with the team as a whole. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to say what was causing that, um, and I think game plan was not it was a not insignificant part of that. But uh, we will see. We will see. Uh, the team as a whole has kind of fell under production of what we want to be doing. Um, just has not been a good year of sim for, sims for us. Uh, we're currently sitting at eight and five, which is tied for the second best record in the whole league. Which is wild, but it's a wild, wild league out there right now. Jeez, yeah, week f four, I want to say. Week four, Bronco Mills had nine carries and Nakamura had five. That was maybe the peak of my depression this season. Uh, it's just been bad, and uh, I don't know what we can do to change that next season. Um, we'll see. It'll be an eventful transition into S27 for sure. Um, but yeah, eight and five right now. That's tied for the second best record in the league. Uh, Yellowknife is at ten and three, and um, one, two, three, four teams are at eight and five, including three teams in the ASFC and the Chicago Butchers in the NSFC. Um, o to B in the NSF NSFC. To be Sarasota and Colorado very much contending for a playoff spot. Um, despite, well, Sarasota is not depleted as much in the roster. Um, but both are uh, reasonably struggling under young quarterbacks. Um, and the talent around them has been able to make them look pretty good. Um, I think we're seeing more and more of that of teams that are able to, you know, I think we kind of associate those early early quarterbacks is kind of having really poor performances and that makes sense because they're not able to get to the kind of higher numbers you need for um, quarterback performance but I think safe playbooks and teams that are able to put a lot of talent on the field um, especially compared to earlier seasons just because of I think what has been truly and honestly for me I think uh, I think uh, head office right now has done a really poor job of managing the proper expansion schedule um, and I think we're seeing a higher and higher saturation of, of just a higher and higher and a higher average of TPE per position um, just on the depth chart in general uh, so defenses and offenses are both getting better and better and better in general you kind of had your max earners tucked away into certain roles where they really needed to be able to succeed. And you could have some lower earners being pretty successful overall in some other positions. But right now it's just, you're kind of really, um, if you had like a really slow earner that was like around 400 TPE, several, like, like four seasons in, uh, and they were playing like defensive end, I think you can still get away with that in the ISO a lot in certain positions, um, but that's like that's like barely cutting it in ISO terms these days, uh, and I think that really is bad for the health of the league. Honestly, I think uh, it makes us very dependent on the kind of randomness of the sim, and uh, doesn't nearly as properly reward like good team building. Uh, So it, I think it just exasperates these kind of random feelings from this from the simulation. 
um, you know, where like, you know, if you're one Max Ernie, if you're a Max Ernie running back, like myself, generally, um, or a high running running back, I'm not going to call myself a Max Ernie, I've missed enough PTs. Um, there's just, there's a huge difference in reward for that kind of earning if you're facing 11 defensive players with really high TP that are at least somewhat active at basically every position. Um, and it's generally just going to kind of, I don't know, I don't think it gives more, like, it doesn't give more of, like, the good stats that people care about to defensive players, you know? Um, because they're not going to get fumbles, because the running backs are not going to cough up the ball. Um, they're not going to get necessarily more interceptions or pass deflection. Maybe some more, slightly more pass deflections, but, um, like, records you're seeing now... You're seeing people pushing it in receiving yardage, which I think has been more and more of, like, defensive lines and linebackers getting better and better. And um, so as the average TPE of, like, every position rises a little bit, there's still a lot of weaknesses in secondaries just because of how much it takes to be a really good secondary player. Um, so I think teams are throwing it more and more and we've seen running uh, like rushing stats overall go down and down year over year and we're seeing rushing averages go down and down i don't know i just think it's i, th I think we're really in a mess of a state right now and i think i've been really disappointed with the way with the schedule of expansion and the way that we've kind of allowed things to be you know um i think people were uh, there was a lot of talk when new york and Berlin were coming in, and the expansion drafts were, about, were, were happening. And there were a lot, of, a lot of people that were really frustrated with the expansion rules because they thought it um, made it too easy on Berlin and New York. Um, they were able to just get a lot of talent right off the bat from expansion drafts and from the from participating in the S25 ISFL draft as well. And I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that criticism of it being too, too simple and too straightforward and, and honestly too easy for those teams to, not to say that there hasn't been a lot of hard work by all the GMs and or remembers and such involved with those teams. But I think if you look at past expansions and how kind of expansion should go, I think it's been, I think it's been far too easy. Uh, and a lot of that. I don't think that was on the expansion rules. I think the expansion rules were reasonable um, because, like, were you going to give other teams more protection slots? I think the real problem was the fact that teams were, A, already so saturated. We delayed expansion for way too long. We should have expanded to four teams when Sarasota and Honolulu entered the league. Um, or we should have at least had another two-team expansion at some point before Berlin and New York came into the league. Um, but we just kind of pushed it back and we've had a lot of good continual growth um, and have not kind of been able to 
get teams to the proper, I think, the, a much more effective level of like talent saturation. Whereas right now it's just it's just too much, honestly. That's my my opinion, and I've kind of hammered at that for the last couple of episodes, and just kind of constantly. If you talk to me on Discord, and whatever, I'm just I'm, I think I'm really. It's just really an, uh, I think it's really bad for the health of the league overall. The just the current level of saturation of talent at certain posi- at, at just across the board for the number of teams that we have and the number of open positions that we have and I think that just makes it I think there's a lot a lot of problems with that and I think I'm going to stop ranting about it and get on to other stuff <laughs> uh, it'll come up in other parts of this um, this podcast later sections a little bit but overall I think those are my thoughts and that's fine that's what it is uh, and I really hope that we correct that um, what I think is a continued mistake uh, in the um near-ish future but it's going to be a rough end of the season for Orange County it is going to be rough uh, we are as everybody is in the league nowadays depending highly on random chance um, we are going at Philadelphia home to New Orleans and at New York for the last three games of the season we are really hoping to be able to get some of the ba- uh, some of the luck back that we've lost in the season um, we have a 5-2 and two home record, which is honestly better than I thought. We have two bad home losses. Yeah, home to New York and home to Honolulu. Those are both really bad losses where the team really just performed poorly across the board. We struck a really bad sim across the board and um, just been bad. Um, so we're looking to compete with other teams that are there at the top. I think Austin is going to fall off like a rock. Austin has gotten, has really, really done quite well of, of maximizing their opportunities at home. They are 7-1 and one at home on the season, um, but they are predictably getting hurt in the road games where they're honestly weak roster. Um, they're starting a quarterback that's way past his, his expiration date, um, and the roster is just kind of in a transition. They really need to be in rebuild mode right now. Um, but that has really shown through the most in the away record, where they are one and four on the road. Uh, one and four because they've only played five games on the road, whereas they've played eight games at home and are now finishing the rest of the season with at Honolulu, at Arizona, and at San Jose. And I would not be surprised in the slightest. In fact, I would be more surprised if they won any of these games rather than losing all three of them. That's not to say anything bad about any of my friends over in Austin. Those guys are are pretty cool and um, uh, I think they've had a really great season I think you could be really happy with the season you've had in uh, Austin overall but I very much see them finishing the season 8-8 eight and eight. I think New York or I think Orange County for myself um, I think at Philadelphia and New Orleans second line at home are two games statistically that um that by the sim numbers I would expect us to win. Um, those are probably 70% games, just going off of my guess. Uh, I haven't, I don't sim test that much for um, for ISFL, just have a kind of rough idea of the numbers. At New York is going to be closer. Uh, I think we might be testing more like 40%, maybe towards 50% for that, but that's going to be a tough one. Uh, I think. 
uh, I am going to predict we end the season 10 and 5. That's not possible. 10 and 6. That's, what's, that's what the numbers say. Mason. Um, New Orleans second line. Well, if we finish 10 and 6, they have to lose our, their game uh, at us. I mean, they don't. But I think the 10 and 6 that I see involves them losing on the away game to us. But then they play San Jose and Arizona at home. Those are not the easiest home games. In fact, those are pretty tough home games. Um, and I think it, I think it's safe to say they, they probably drop one of them. Statistically, it's probably more likely that they pick up both of them. But I, I just feel like maybe it's wish fulfillment that I'm saying that they drop one of them, and that's fine with me. They'll end the season at nine and seven. That's my prediction. New York, New York. They have two away games and a home game to finish the season. And it is not a good gauntlet. That home game is Orange County, um, which I think they'll go ahead and win. I'll give them the win there. But they go away to Arizona and Chicago, who are both solid rosters that'll put up good numbers in the sim. Uh, I say they probably finished at uh, eight and eight with one more win on the season. So they'd be tied for. They'd be tied for third with Austin at that point. Let's look at Arizona's finish to the season. That's much prettier. They uh, Arizona is 7-6 at the moment, but they have two home games facing New York and Austin and an away game to New Orleans. I think they could very easily finish the last three games 2-1 and one if... Uh, again, these are these are my predictions. You know, these are the things I would put in the in the weekly predictions. I think what makes sense and where the um, just win percentage-wise, um, who should be favored here, um, and if the, and it's kind of assuming that the favorite team mostly wins. Um, but that would put that uh, Arizona at nine and seven. They would hop over New York and Austin and be the depending on tiebreakers, the third seed in the ASFC. Uh, is San Jose able to really... San Jose could make a play if they go 3-0. and I think it's more likely that they go 2-1 and here. Um, they're 6-7. and So they really need all three wins to really even be in contention. They go away to New Orleans tonight, week 14. If they lose that, I, I would just count the season out at that point. Uh, and then they have home games to Honolulu and Austin, which are both winnable games, but you gotta win them. Uh, you gotta win that away game, really, just to stay in it. The NFC SFC is a little bit clearer just because, excuse me, Ooh. you have Yellowknife at 10 and three. They could lose all three remaining games. They'd still be 10 and six and um, uh, depending on tiebreakers, if Sarasota and Colorado both went 3-0, would still probably make the playoffs anyways, and they're going to win at least one of those games. So let's look at Colorado first. Um, at Baltimore, home to Yellowknife, and at Philadelphia. Um, those, those away games are pretty winnable. Uh, neither Philadelphia or Baltimore have really... Um, good rosters, I guess I'll say, as far as TPE earnings and productivity in the sim. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they could go 
it's hard to say with these away games uh, and then the home game as well that CL and knife I don't really know how how testing wise Colorado's doing I'm gonna say they average out to winning about two of those games I'm not sure exactly which two of those games it'd be but I'd say it's about two of those games so they'd end up nine and seven Sarasota at seven and six they go at Chicago home to Baltimore at Yellowknife that's two really rough uh, road games to go I think statistically they probably finish eight and eight which is not not good for them that is not good they'd be depending on um, tiebreakers versus Chicago assuming they lose all three of their games and Chicago has Sarasota and New York at home so yeah it wouldn't be possible for I guess it would be possible if if Sarasota goes one and two it's still technically possible for Chicago to go 0 and three but the one game Sarasota needs to win is at Chicago um, so I think generally, I think I'm expecting here in the NSFC to see the three playoff teams be Yellowknife, Chicago, and Colorado with Yellow, with Sarasota watching the playoffs from home. And that's the seat. That's the, uh, that's the ISFL. It is, uh, it has not had my full attention really all season, uh, but it has definitely had my full frustration all season. Whereas it's been a lot more rewarding to be involved uh, continually as I have been with Portland, uh, who are now 10-1 on the season after Week 11 action. Uh, we lost a game in Week uh, 9 at home to the Bondi Beach Buccaneers, but have won all of our other games this season, which has been pretty cool. It's been pretty fun. Uh, Testing-wise, the team definitely deserves this record. Um, I think Declan deserves to be crowned as the best team in the league, which they are statistically at this point, um, with the best next best record in the DSFL being held at 6-5 and five, uh, by four different teams, uh, and the Portland Pythons being at 10-1. and one. With three remaining games of DSFL action, the Portland Pythons have not only locked up a playoff spot, not only locked up a conference number one seed, but locked up home field advantage through... Uh, the playoff and championship games uh, should they make it past the semifinal in the NSF NFC North Conference. Um, so yeah, Portland can kind of take the breaks. Uh, kind of been taking the breaks on testing already. Um, just kind of looking to see what kind of statistical success we can have. Um, like to keep winning for sure. Um, I could definitely see this season finishing 13 and one. Um, I believe by the numbers we will be favored in win percentage in the last three games of the season at Norfolk, at Tijuana, and uh, home to Dallas. Um, yeah, from early testing results, it looks like we will be favored in all three of those games. So we should finish the game thirteen, the season thirteen and one, but it's going to be anywhere between that and ten and three, or ten and four. Uh, and I'm not going to be too fussed about whatever happens because it literally can't affect our seeding right now. Uh, we're really only worried about those playoff games, which are you know the total crapshoot one of one series that they are. Um, I don't think I have much else to say about the DSFL right now. I'm not going to get into the numbers and the playoff breakdowns quite as much. Um, 
the NFC North is a two-man race for the uh, bottom seed of the playoffs in that conference between Minnesota and London. London has a game up on Minnesota with three games remaining. London has two games and an away game to Kansas City, so I'd expect them to be favored in all three of those matchups. Um, whereas uh, Minnesota needs to go to needs to play an away game in London and then has home games versus Kansas City and Bondi Beach, and I'd expect them to probably lose two of those games. And so uh, London should be the clear number two seed in the in that conference. I'm not going to break down. Um, records in the SFC South. I think just by testing numbers, the clear most likely result for the SFC South is um, is going to be playoff appearances by the Dallas Bird Dogs and Bondi Beach Buccaneers, despite Norfolk being, I believe, by tiebreakers, the top team in the division. They go home to Portland at Bondi Beach and at Tijuana. Uh, and I expect them to be uh, fairly well under sub-50% uh, win percentage for all three of those games. I think they could end up 6-8 and eight at the end of the season, which would definitely put them out of contention. Bad seasons for Kansas City especially, and even Tijuana as well, who are both deep in rebuilding now. Uh, it could take another season or two to really be back to contention, depending on how the drafts in the future go. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. We're about halfway through the podcast, or almost, um... Percentages. How do fractions break down? Either way, we're about 38 minutes into the podcast. Uh, I want to go ahead and talk more about the new simulation. Uh, as we look into S27 and beyond, uh, there's a lot. Um, let's, let's talk about the biggest things about DDSPF 21. Uh, I think the thing that I want to know the most about, and things that uh, the, the parts that are still kind of shrouded in mystery, is uh, how exactly. Um, this really sucks because I, I think most of all, I'd like to be able to get my hands on the game and like be in it. Uh, and, and like see how how the league looks inside of DDSPF 21, um, but that's just not feasible for me. I don't I don't have the liquid resources to go and purchase uh, 21, and um, we don't have the ability to um, let's say access in the. Um, creative ways that we have so far the previous version of the sim that we used I think that's a huge downside honestly for a player to like for myself being able to go in and like test archetypes through running season sims uh, and kind of decide the best feature for my player um, I, you know you kind of have to trust that they that the transition team has done the best job possible with um, balancing the different archetypes such that you know, however, whatever archetype you invest into, and whatever, um, as long as you're not like totally um, stupid with your build, that you're gonna be able to perform successfully at the same TPE level as other players, just in general. Um, but I have a hard, <laughs> I just have a hard time trusting that, um, just in general. I don't know. I, I guess our, our original archetypes haven't been changed too much. 
since they were initially written by people that didn't really understand the simulation nearly as much as we do now. Um, and I think there's definitely been a lot more time and understanding invested into 21 than there was 16 uh, at the very beginning. Um, but still, I don't have I don't have a lot of faith right now, and I'm a little bit scared about how things are going to go. I, I'm kind of regretting to a certain degree using my free archetype switch. Uh, or, or my allowed archetype switch, um, because it means once I pick my archetype in the new simulation, uh, I'm going to have to stick with that archetype unless I switch to an entirely different position. Um, so right now it's a, it's really a decision between speed and power back, um, and it's quite a decision. And we'll see how that kind of plays out when I talk more about um, those archetypes specifically. Again, I wanted to talk just more about like uh, I think how much of a downside it is to have. Uh, the new version of the sim really be pretty inaccessible uh, just comparatively it's a lot less accessible um, if you're not able to like acquire the simulation uh, as easily as we have with 16 um, since my time in the league um, and that really stinks um, but, but I think what I want to see more and more is, and I think is going to affect a lot of how we understand the ISFL, is how formations and how playbooks and strategies and such work. They've kind of broken this down a little bit, and I don't really quite understand it. Um, as it stands right now, you have your depth charts, and you have several formations. You have... Um, Five formations. You have your I formation, your pro set, your two tight end, and then you have your spread formation and your shotgun formation. Spread and shotgun are, are, are essentially identical. Um, it's the same. It's the same depth chart breakdown. You're almost always going to be putting the same players in the same position. It's quarterback, running back, um, five O line, tight end. Uh, slot receiver and two outside receivers that math probably adds up I hope um, but yeah that's the breakdown it's the same between shotgun and spread so you usually play the same players at each one um, from my understanding you have two depth charts that you can submit for each side of the ball and it's essentially just okay submit your quarterback your running back um, two tight ends, three wide receivers, five offensive linemen. And that's weird. I don't know how that works. I really don't know how that works. Um, as of right now, you know, I can have, let's say for Portland right now, we have our tight end Shane, our tight end Shane Benjamin, who we designate as our tight end in our pro set, our I formation, and our two tight end set. He's our right tight end, I believe. Uh, it's right tight end or left tight end. I don't think it makes too much of a difference at the DSP level, who's who, which, whatever. He's a tight end of those positions. But we also specifically have him at outside wide receiver in shotgun and spread, allowing our two wide receivers to play uh, McGrady at the other outside receiver position. And we've had a lot of success over several seasons uh, having our primary receiver, who is currently Mario Messi, in the uh, slot for um, shotgun and spread. 
Um, and we have had a lot of success with that kind of strategy, um, but I just don't know how that works. I don't know how that works in 21. Um, you know, if I'm running DSFL team, let's say I'm running a DSFL, let's say I'm running Portland, um, and I need to submit an offensive depth chart. And I have the current roster. I have my quarterback. I have LeBron James. I have Andres Christensen and Giovanni Bianchi at the running back position. So I could put them at running back, and then uh, I could put the other one at backup running back. It's something. It's something in the thing. In the thing. The um, in the way that you have the two the two different depth charts. That if you want to have a running back rotation, you need to put your running back one in the first rotation, and then your running back two in the second rotation, and then the sim something something. Essentially, they give. The first rotation a 60% split of the snaps, and like the second rotation, like a 40% um, share of the snaps. It's something like that. Um, something, something, something like that. Anyways, so I put them like that, and then I have one tight end, so I put Shane Benjamin in, but then there's an empty tight end slot. Um, I have two wide receivers, so I put Quavius McGrady and Mario Messi in those two wide receiver slots, but then I have an empty wide receiver slot. Um, I put my five bot alignment in at the offensive line. And then what do I do about the third wide receiver spot and the second tight end spot? I, that's what I don't understand. As of right now, in the current sim, um, if we have Shane Benjamin out wide, as we do in spread and shotgun, or we need a second tight end, as in two tight end formation, in 16, we currently are using our RB2 as our tight end 2 in those situations. And it's a weird formation. I wouldn't always use this. Sometimes you just use um, use a, um, a running back or a tight end bot or something like that. Either way, that's what you use there, and you have kind of a, another player in the rotation there. Uh, but then what do I do with the third wide receiver spot? Like, that, that just doesn't... Um, am I just, like, totally enabled to play tight ends out of wide receiver? That really sucks. Um, because they've talked about like, oh, you don't have enough right wide receivers, you can use a receiving back or a, a receiving tight end out wide receivers. But then at that point, if I have a receiving tight end, I want to put out wide receiver. Do I need to have three tight ends rostered? Uh, and at that point, like so many people are getting less and less of a timeshare. Um, are we just becoming more and more? I, again, these are the questions that I have that I, I feel like have not been sufficiently answered to the wider public. Um, and we'll see, hopefully, that those do get answered. Uh, I'd love to just be able to have my hands on DDSPF 21 again, uh, but that's just not um, possible with where we are right now, uh, with where I am right now. Uh, anyway, it's, it's kind of the same story. I don't really know how the defensive breakdown is, but it's kind of similar where, you know, there's several, there, 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 there's like 13 different positions on the depth chart that you're supposed to fill when there's only going to be 11 P players out on the field at any one time. And it's like, I just don't understand it at this point. Uh, and I don't know what the plan is necessarily with that. Uh, it sounds like quite a mess, personally. Um, but change is always going to be weird and scary in some ways. So we'll see. Um, I don't think there's anything broken about the way that we it's depth charts right now. Um, I think if there's anything broken, it's just... It, if there's anything weird, it's the way that, A, on defense, certain positions, 
and it's it's seen on offense in in certain ways, but not usually. Um, but definitely on defense in certain positions, having a lot of success playing at other positions. So your safeties playing down at linebacker in 16 um, are really good. Um, but really, other than that, you know, you're able to put linebackers down at defensive end. But I think that's how it should be if you have a big linebacker that's really good at rushing the passer. I think you should be able to have him at, at defensive end in some formations and at linebacker in other formations, as we've been doing on Portland with Ty Tyson so far this season. I think that's great. I think that's great for team building flexibility to have players that can play at different positions and kind of move around. And um, yeah, I think that's how it should be. And I don't know how it's going to be with uh, 21 and with the weird way that those that um, formations and strategies are changing. To be seen. To be seen. Um, what else can we say about TDSPF 21? Um, just going to be interesting. Uh, Traits is the other new big addition that uh, I think is a wait and see on how they affect archetypes. I think overall I'm, I, I'm disappointed and this kind of goes in conjunction with the kind of lack of expansion schedule. Um, and I really hope that they're not really just trying to go full steam ahead on pushing the ISFL to be a max earner only league. Um, I think we need to, I think it's better for the league if there's a lot of variance in how good players are at different positions and um, teams being, you know, having, being more, struggling more to fit in, fit to fill certain positions. And I think that's realistic. You know, you do have these practice squatty kind of players and, and teams that have a roster weakness at certain positions um, where they you know, are kind of consistently playing players because they haven't had success in either drafting or acquiring other players in that position. They're consistently player, playing players at a position that probably wouldn't be starting at most other teams in the league. But um, these kind of practice squatty old veteran type of players um, that are not going to perform for you terribly well, but you scheme around that and you build up other aspects of the team that could be really successful outside of that. And, you know, teams are just more varied and unique in that way just because of how they choose to spend their resources um, and how well they draft at certain positions. Uh, whereas right now, yeah, it's just, you're just kind of drowning in talent right now. It's really hard to. Like, let's look at, look, looking at the index right now. Like, what the hell? Berlin in the NSFC is five and eight. It's five and eight. At one point they were, gosh, did they, they were 0 and five, I think. Yeah, they were 0 and five. And everyone was like, okay, cool, Berlin sucks. Like, everybody that doesn't really pay attention and, like, is not in war rooms and, like, doesn't test or doesn't know percentages was like, man, Berlin sucks. And people still right now are like, mm, Berlin's, you know, not actually good, really. Um, and that's stupid because Berlin's quite good as a roster. Like, I, I think people just don't understand at all how good of a roster Berlin has. Um, and if you're running season sims from the beginning, like, it's quite unlucky how Berlin have fallen. Um, in just having a lot of bad sims. Um, but just the fact that rosters in general are so saturated has made it so possible for them to look as bad as they have on the season. Whereas, you know, 
in some of these games, in a lot of these games that they lost early on, they're almost certainly favored. Uh, and they've kind of shown it more and more by like being able to beat team other teams that like that Capcasenti think is like is good. Um, but they're you know, they're just as good. But it's just it's just this really random aspect of the league so far or right now. I don't even know what to talk about. I keep getting incensed by this whole kind of expansion falling so far behind thing. Um, I think I just need to chill. Um, S27 Beyond. Anything else I want to talk about? We are 8 minutes till I cap out the time limit. And I did want to talk more about archetypes. Um, I mean, really, when I say I want to talk about archetypes and about new stuff, I really just want to talk about running backs. That's all I really care about. <laughs> my player everybody else's player can get suck it um it's a tough decision between speed back and running and power back my my biggest hang up is that i think i feel like speed back just inherently in my understanding a lot of the math behind 21 versus 16 didn't really change like they've changed little bits and baps here and there but like overall the backbone to DDSPF 21 is the same as 16. Um, I don't know if home field advantage is a little bit different, but just like a lot of the statistical calculations um, and, and, and the way that players perform is the same. That makes me think that speed 100 is going to be the same, which is, you know, other players at running back have always just said, as far as, as long as I've been in the league, all you need to do to be a good running back is get your speed up to 100, and after that, it's like, whatever. You know, your first season at 100 speed could be better than three seasons later when you have several hundred more TP, just because of how important 100 speed is to your build. But, like, one, one competitiveness, I think is gonna play a part in how we look at um, running backs moving forward. Speedback has a max cap of competitiveness at 75, which is tied for the lowest among offensive skill positions. Uh, there are a couple of tight end archetypes that also have 75, um, and I think one of the other... Actually, I don't think any of the other... I, I don't remember what... Um... I don't remember what receiving backs cap. I think receiving backs cap is is 80 competitiveness, as is power backs. Is at 80 competitiveness. Uh, and I wrote down this in my PT, but there are there are only three positions. Uh, there are only three archetypes, rather, uh, of all of the defensive archetypes that have a competitive the max competitiveness of 75 or lower. There are only three archetypes. I think two are like cornerback, and one is something I don't remember. Um, whereas there are, I want to say it was like 9 or 11 um, archetypes on defense that have a competitiveness of 80 or lower, which is the cap for power back and receiving back. Uh, and the way that competitiveness works is, is that the sim will check competitiveness of a tackler and a ball carrier. Competitiveness competitiveness of the tackler and the ball player or the ball carrier and if the tackler has even one more point of competitiveness doesn't matter if they one more point or 99 more points of competitiveness uh, the tackler will have a bonus to forcing a fumble 
Um, so I think it's going to be more important than we think is going to kind of feed more into this kind of feast or famine uh, idea around the speedback. Now where, you know, it might be able to help uh, retain, you know, not quite so much of a disadvantage to power back, I think in one, I think defenders maybe not are maybe not going to put a lot of points into competitiveness early on. But I think the other thing is we've traditionally th thought of fumbles as a, as a kind of um, foil to hands. Uh, so I think I think receiving backs will be the most sure-handed and give it the fewest fumbles overall. Um, and then power backs will be second, speed backs will be third. Um, power backs and speed backs both have a hands cap of 70, uh, which again, is, as I said, is, is the previous stat that handled most of the calculations. It still handles the base calculations for fumbles. Uh, as I understand it, um, it's just that competitiveness that's going to be the difference. And then there's a huge weight differential. Um, they dropped the max, I believe the max currently for speedbacks about 225. It's either 225 or 215. Either way, it's a huge drop. The max weight is, ne or the, I don't think they really have a, that's actually kind of nice that they just said your, your height is this and your weight is this. I, I think that's good. I think people might think of their height and weight of their player differently, but like because that those those statistics play a role in the sim, and you just kind of choose it at random and don't pay for it at all, I think you should just set the height and the and the weight. So the um, powerbacks have four more four inches of height on the speedbacks, and um, fifty five pounds on the speedback. I think that could come into effect a lot. Right now I'm leaning going power back. At, at the very least, I want I want there to be one max power back in the league just to see how good it is. Whereas I think a lot of people by instinct are gonna go speed back. But we shall see. We shall see. Who knows? Um that's my plans for right now, I think. A lot to be told about how these are these traits work they're really expensive man and I really don't like how just archetypes in general seem to take more TP to max out I don't know maybe that's more of it is uh, more of like what's gonna help the league be a little bit more random is like this idea that more and more people won't be maxed out um, but I just hope it's I just hope it's generally just not gonna um, what was I saying what am I saying who am I um, I just hope it's not going to affect too much how how well um, slower earners are able to participate in the league we shall see, we shall see. Uh, another point on S27 Beyond uh, is looking at the S28 class, which is coming up on us sooner than later. Um, with the end of the season rapidly approaching, recruitment is certainly, uh, I'm certainly a recruitment team. In fact, there are a lot of rumors about what's going on with the recruitment team and with potential Reddit posts in potentially large Reddit subreddits potentially large football-related and or professional football league-related 
difference. Either way, I think most players, uh, most GMs are expecting a large class uh, for the S28 class. Uh, and that's, I mean, in value, that's going to be true already. Um, with a number of notable S18 retirees, including uh, Matthias Anyadi, Marcella Tariki, Corin Abernathy. Uh, I'm not sure on the uh, on the seasons of other player of these other players related here that I'm talking about, but um, Randley could. I don't know if he'll come back to the league, but he's retired his previous player, Walt Green. That's Duilio, who's come back to the league after a short absence. Modern Duke. Um, JPAC is a big name, despite not always, uh, just generally not having great earning over his history as a player, uh, with, um, literally just a hexagon, but we will see how he does with this next player. Um, Infinite has recreated into S28 after retiring Wolfie McDummy last season, um, and taking a season off of having a player. So a lot. It's gonna be a interesting draft class takeaways right off the bat if you need as a dsfl or isfl team if you're looking at adding a receiver or a quarterback you're gonna be having a great time with s20 class and for the 90 percent of isfl teams that will not at all be interested in those positions it's gonna be interesting <laughs> uh, so we'll have to see how the newer recruits into the league decide to disperse themselves. Overall, we're having a, quite a crisis at wide receiver, I think. Um, I don't know. Hopefully enough of the good ones will start dying off here that, that more spots will open up. But um, And the fact that it's turned into such a passing league, I think, helps more and more wide receivers feel happy at the position. Um, how are we doing here? Um, we're over an hour at this point. I did want to talk more about um, expansion. I think with a big draft class coming up, and with the league being in the state it is right now, which I've talked at plenty of length in this podcast about, we don't need to talk about anymore. Um, I, I, I hope any member of HO happens to listen to this, or that somebody that knows a member of HO quite well listens to this and talks to them. But really, I mean, come on. I, I I think that with the new class, we should be seeing a expansion of at least four franchises. Um, and so with that, and with, um, with myself kind of wanting to expect the best in our head office and in the future of the league and the future potential health of the league, I I feel like I'm just going to assume that we're going to do that going forward and be more and more interested in, as I was last uh, with the S25 expansion, I was super interested in the idea of what the new franchise brandings would be. Um, I wrote uh, what was a pretty extensively researched and I think really great um, article back in August of this year before expansion teams were announced um, shortly after the call for expansion bids was put out 
Um, I wrote an article that you can find going into my profile and looking at that. I would love for more people to read through that. Um, but it kind of talks about with the new International Simulation Football League, with the last call for bids, uh, HO specifically asked for consideration of international franchises for expansion bid makers. Uh, and I hope and I think that that will continue with the new franchises um, in my uh, in the future in what I'm hoping for four new franchises expanding. I think we'll probably see at least one of those teams land in America um, just because there are so many people that really want to just uh, have that realism aspect, I guess, to it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, New York was a, was a very realistic, you know, if you're going to have a sports league, if it's going to be an American football sports league, there's no way you're not going to have a New York team. I just, I don't think there's been a single professional league in American history that, I mean, outside of like early NFL, early AFL, um, that hasn't had a New York team. And I think you'd expect that out of a modern American football league or just American sports league in general. Um, but then our last two American franchises before that were Honolulu and Sarasota, neither of which I think tick the box of like realistic whatsoever, which I think is, you know, not even necessarily a box we should be looking at too much. Anyways, so I go into my ideas about um, like international possibilities for league franchises. Um, and I was going to break that down a little bit more, but I think what I really just want to break down while I'm in this overtime extra bonus section of the podcast is the top five that I stated at the end of my article. And I said, these are, I've I reviewed kind of basically the globe. These are my top five locations. And almost all of these still stand as I think my top five locations that I'd love to see new franchises for the next several expansion teams looking at. Um, of these top five, of which my top five were Brazil, Japan, Mexico, Australia, and Austria, I think we could, I think I would bump Australia down to maybe six, um, and potentially bump Austria down as well. Um, so here's my new top five, essentially, to say about it. And you can read more about my reasoning. Um, my primary criterion were... Um, the history and accessibility and popularity of American football in those countries and regions today. Um, and just kind of part of it for my top five is just excitement factor for me uh, and how good I think it would be for the league to represent uh, these kind of areas and regions and cultures uh, and types of people that enjoy American football that are not currently represented in the not currently well represented in the, in the current slate of ISO franchises. So Brazil is one, obviously we have very little Latin American representation. Tijuana, you could say to a certain degree, um, but they're very, very North Mexico, you know? Um, and South America is a whole nother continent. Um, I'm a big fan of Sao Paulo for a city of choice there. Uh, the names are a bit funky. I think my favorite at the end was South 
Sao Paulo Tucanos, just generally to represent the, who, um, quite a voice crack there, um, to represent the, the kind of nature of the Amazon rainforest and, and all that Brazil has to offer. A lot of options there that I go over in the article, but I think Brazil still stands as, I think, a great location, a great country for the Icefell to expand to. Number two for me is Japan. I think specifically Tokyo makes the most sense. I list in this in this article Tokyo Kaiju as like, you know, like Godzilla, like giant monsters, or Tokyo Guardians representing kind of like giant mecha, which are also a huge a, a huge part of kind of Japanese action pop culture. And I think either would be really cool. I also came up with the idea while looking through this of like Tokyo Titans, which could be the same kind of mecha idea. Uh, and has that kind of alliterative juice that people love for franchise, just names in general, but franchise names in the Icefell especially. Um, like Sarasota Sailfish and Honolulu, Haha Lua both had that. Um, and when I think when a lot of people kind of think up ideas for franchise in general, they're, they're looking for that sweet, sweet alliteration. Number three, and I think what remains uh, for number three is Mexico. Um, probably Mexico City. Um, I list a lot of like historical possible references. Uh, another one kind of looking more at modern history of Mexico that I um, thought up. Um, Mexico has a pretty large uh, auto manufacturing industry. Uh, a lot of companies outside of Mexico have kind of made Mexico home for a lot of automobile manufacturing. Uh, and the longest standing automobile manufacturer in Mexico is uh, Ford Motors, so I thought it'd be cool. Uh, and then just kind of in general with like Western North American um, fauna to name a team, the Mexico City Mustangs has some great alliteration, uh, cool name. You could go with a very kind of like race stripey, um, almost Detroit style kind of uniform a lot of great, I think a lot of great options there for Mexico, and I think it would be good to see an ISFL representation. I think still kind of tickles this kind of realism bone. I don't think people understand just how much um, Latin America in general, uh, uh, but especially Mexico has grown to love and love um, American football and how easy it would be, um, like it wouldn't be nearly the kind of flights to like as it would be to open up a franchise in London. Um, and certainly for most ISFL teams, it would be a better flight than going all the way up to Yellowknife, way up in the Northwest Territory. Um, just guessing off the top of my head. Um, but Mexico City, I think, would be super accessible. Uh, and the NFL does regularly every season usually play a game in Mexico City anyways. Um, and it's not nearly the kind of trek that it would be to London. So I think it still tickles that realism bone. I'd love to see that. My new number four replacing Australia I think for myself would be another Canadian franchise um, Yellowknife does a good job of like oh, oh we have we have Canada in the league you know we have Canada eh? um, but like uh, I, think Canada, I think Canada deserves better than Yellowknife I'm going to be honest um, like just in representation in general like it's just it's just a tiny city so like you can say oh we're representing Canada like 
it, it, I mean, it's the same argument behind people that were like, we have to have like for an American football league, we have to have New York. If you're a, if you're like, if you want to represent Canada, you got to represent Canada and not like Yellowknife. Um, which is not to say I don't love the Yellowknife branding and don't think it should be a part of it, but like for the arguments of this article, I think Canada is the new number four for myself. A lot of great options there. I think top three would be Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. A lot harder on those to get the kind of alliteration that I'd want. I think that most people would want on a name. But um, I'll leave that up to the people that will actually put in um, expansion bits, which I won't. Uh, that's uh, that's me dropping Australia off of the top five. Um, I thought it would be great for kind of the the Australian population in the eyes of in general for us to have some kind of representation uh, for that country, but now we do in the DSFL for Bondi Beach. And as much as I think it would be nice in the in the far future to have an ISFL team in Oceania in general, um, I don't think it's nearly as much of a priority now. My number five previously was Austria, which I think is still great. And I go into a lot of the reasons why, from like a, an American football history standpoint, Austria would be a great addition for the league. But also, now that we have Germany, Austria is not the same as Germany, but I think there's a lot more cultural similarities between Austria and Germany than there would be, say, going to somewhere new like France or Italy. Um, so Austria is still up there, but I think my new number five is primarily going to be Italy. Italy has a good history with football. Um, with a lot of American sports in general. And I think I think players would, would really enjoy being in Italy for their football career. Big brain. Lots of great cities in there. I think I, rec I, re I think I recommended like the Genoa Griffins, which was a goofy name. Uh, but there's like 20 different directions you can go in for Italy. It's great. It's Italy, you know? Uh, and those are my high hopes for, for, for franchise expansion in the future, which, um, you know, if is going to have their way in 10 seasons, we should have another two to four franchises, and teams will have 1,000 TPE players on the bench, and that's just going to be, we're just going to accept it. I don't know. We shall see. We shall see, we shall see. Um, that's well over my time. We're at about an hour and 15 minutes into here, so I am going to say good night and good luck to everybody. Uh, thank you for listening so far in the podcast, uh, especially with my I'm kind of tired, man. I'm just kind of tired. I don't know. I feel like I've been kind of tired on the podcast. Maybe I'm just pissed, you know? Maybe I'm just, like, really frustrated. Maybe I'm just going to, like, retire right now. Like, instead of posting this podcast, maybe I just retire. And like, um, I think everybody would love that because they want everybody wants to screw over OCO. But like, whatever, man. Um, I'm delirious. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna upload this podcast and post it here in a bit. But um, appreciate you for listening. Um, I uh, I hope people are listening. I know there is metric. I have, I have anchor metrics or whatever that says people that are are technically listening to this podcast um but i would really 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 love and i've said this on a couple of episodes previously and just not had any good response to it but i, I would really love if you um if there's any part of the podcast that like 
you had different points that you thought about or like things that uh, part of the conversations that I had here on the podcast that you'd like to continue or have, or make comments on uh, to drop those in the podcast thread. And I'm sure if you say something interesting about some of the points that I said, I will absolutely respond to that at some point. Um, that's it for me. This has been episode eight. Eight episodes in a year. Not quite one a month, but um, it's enough. Okay, it's enough. It's enough for me. It's enough uh, four to eight million dollar money bags for me, so. <laughs> All right. Uh, hope you enjoyed the week 14 games tonight or whatever day it is that you're listening to this, whatever games are going on. Uh, have a happy new year. It is December 31st, or December 30th, as I'm finishing recording this. Uh, so, Happy New Year here soon. Um, especially to all the Americans that are going to be so far behind, which is going to be great. Uh, um, it'll be my third new year in the UK, which is kind of goofy. Um, and let's hope this one, this new year, is... I feel like we've kind of been on a, a downhill trajectory the last three, so I'm hoping we go uphill on the last one. New simulation. It can't be worse, right? Uh, well, that's three more minutes wasted for no reason, because I'm not getting paid for any of this extra stuff. So, uh, uh, for the fifth time in the last two minutes, I'm going to go. Have a great time. Thanks for listening. Stay questionable. Thank you.